Let's just all give a hand to Greta for bringing the table out. Yes, way to go. Woo! You don't embarrass easy, do you, Greta? How are you guys doing today? Are you glad to be here? Because I'm glad you're here. It is such a good day because today we get to talk about adultery. What, no clapping and cheering? and No? Uh, Pastor Rob is uh, in Kentucky visiting family, and he said, Pastor Adam, will you speak on adultery? And I said, nope. Uh, but uh, we're going to continue our series in, in Live, Love, Lead. And, and honestly, I'm not going to get inappropriate with it, but this is a challenge we all need. Our church exists to live, love, and lead like Jesus. And what we've been walking through the last several weeks, and we will into the future of this year, is to help us define what this really means. It's easy to say live, love, lead. It's easy to wear the sweatshirts and t-shirts. I see many of them out there. In fact, I'd encourage you, go get one, because they look good on you. Yeah, I know. Uh, but it's a whole other thing to really understand what this is we're talking about. And that's what we're going to set up all year. This is what we exist to do because there are so many side trails. There are so many other paths that we as believers can get caught up on. Let's be honest. We can get sidetracked easily. Anybody distract easily? And what we're doing here is creating a target of what we exist to do as followers of Christ and what our church exists to do. Uh, Pastor Rob has been walking us through these three circles and this is really where Live, Love, Lead exists. We're talking right now about biblical morality, how to filter your life through the Bible and the morals that we learn in the Bible. We're going into a series soon about our purpose, the biblical purpose of our life. And then we're going to talk about the virtues coming up, how, what we should put into our life, how we should live. And at the center of these, where these three circles converge, is the bullseye is where we're aiming. So if you have nowhere to aim, you're never going to hit it. And so what Pastor Rob has done so great, and I love serving with this pastor, is he's put the target up there by the Holy Spirit and said this, this is our target. We, are going, we exist to live, love, and lead like Jesus. And he's been walking us through all of these things that live, love, and lead, cultivating this uh, biblical worldview. And um, it's, it's been challenging yet been amazing. We've been talking this year, uh, we started the year off talking about the Ten Commandments. If you have your Bible, open up to Exodus chapter 20. It's one of the two instances where it's recorded. One time, one, one Ten Commandment, but it's recorded twice. We're looking in Exodus. And, and he's walked us through these different commandments. Each one a different challenge to help our biblical morals develop. The filter, God, sift out what doesn't belong. And so we've read through in Exodus 20 and talked through uh, the importance of one God. We've talked about having no idols. Don't misuse the name of God. Honor the Sabbath. Honor your parents. And, and as you're reading through Exodus chapter 20, it's spelled out. And, and each of these kind of come with a little extra wording, if you will. Like explanations, a little deeper on uh, what does an idol look like? What does it mean to not misuse God's name? And in fact, honor your parents is the only one found with a promise I, I, that if you follow this, you will live long in the land. And so we're reading along, and there's these longer portions describing it. And then we get to the next four. And it's as if the Bible says, no explanation needed. Don't murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. And don't lie. Mic drop, I'm out. I mean, and you're like, wait, 
why don't those get explanations? How come you don't tell us more about these? And I think in saying very little, the Bible is saying a lot. Don't murder. That's it. Don't kill people. It's a good idea. It's a commandment. And today we're hitting Exodus 20, verse 14. You shall not commit adultery. It may be a topic that in some cases we kind of don't want to look at because it may make us feel uncomfortable or that's eh, kind of a weird one. But listen, this is one of the mic drop commandments. I just coined that. You want to write a book, mic drop commandments. Wow, that's going to be good. Uh, don't commit adultery. Listen, in a, in a very brief nutshell, this one doesn't need a lot of explanation. Many of you, you don't even need to argue, but essentially adultery is this. When you enter into a covenant relationship with somebody through marriage and you break that by sleeping with somebody else. Don't do it. Stop. This, this is what, what he's saying in the Bible. That's it. That's all I give you. And then down the road, Jesus shows up and he says, not only don't do that, flip to Matthew. Because Jesus, man, he's He's awesome, but he raises the bar, and it's challenging, isn't it? Like, ah, I'm just barely making it, and God raises But he gives us the strength to do it, and I love it. In Matthew, Jesus says these words. Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. We just read it in Exodus. It's a commandment. You've heard it said. They all had these memorized. They knew this. They knew where this was coming from. Don't commit adultery. And then Jesus takes that bar and says, chuk, 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 chuk. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. <laughs> Talk about a mic drop moment, right? Jesus saying, don't even lust. This goes for men and, and ladies. Doing that breaks the covenant of marriage, period. This is what this is about. Here's the deal, though. I don't think I need to use what time we have to convince you that adultery is wrong. I don't think I need to spend the time to convince you exactly what it is. It's clear. No beating around the bush here. The, the, the thing is, we need to ask is, why does it happen so often? I, I was reading a Gallup poll, and uh, I was just curious. Like, what do people in the world... Christians and non alike, what do people in America think about this? And, and I read this, that 89% of Americans agree that adultery is wrong, Christians and non. Eight, and that shocked me. Almost 90%, the majority of people in our world say, yeah, that's wrong. Shouldn't do it. Pretty clear. And I read that, I'm like, not surprising. I mean, I'm surprised it's maybe a little higher than I thought it might be. And so I'm reading this, this, this poll, and I, it's a Gallup poll, and I read the next question, and, and, and it informed me this, that though 90%, 89% think it's wrong, 64% of Americans know somebody who's had an affair or have been impacted by it. And I sat there looking at those numbers and going, wait a second. We all agree it's wrong, or most of us, but so many have been impacted by it. I'm not asking for a raise of hands, but if you look at the statistics, it will tell me that many of you in this room know somebody or have been personally impacted by adultery. 
my hands in the air. Tapping. It hurts. It's painful, isn't it? This is not easy stuff we're going to talk about. But we can't shy away from it. I love going through series in the Bible like this because I can't get away from truths. Because if it was up to me, I'd be like, yeah, let's not go to that one. It's not convenient. I just talk about how good we are. The Bible doesn't let us do that. So the, the, what we want to talk about is not so much that it's wrong, but why? Why is there such a disconnect between people who know it's wrong, but we slip into it anyway? And it impacts and tears families apart. Why? And here's kind of a main point, kind of the, the crux of what I want to talk about, the thesis, the disconnect is this, that I, I think humanity has a problem with commitment. We have commitment issues, <laughs> all of us, every single person in this room, at some level, way, shape, or form. Humanity has commitment issues. We, we like to make promises, don't we? I promise you. My word is my bond. We, we like to make these promises and we say them so often, but how often do we keep said promise? Right? We like promises so much we even have words and terms for them. When I was growing up, for about one year, I was a Boy Scout. Any Scouts? A few of you. I was a Scout for one year and I joined because the Scout leader had good snacks. Like, I'm into eating. I could try this thing out. And in scouts, they have this thing, you know, three fingers up. You know what that is if you're a scout? Scouts honor. My word is my bond. Until it's not. <laughs> Until I leave it because the snacks got bad. Uh, it, we have these things like, here's another one. If you, maybe you said it. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye. <laughs> How demented. Like, anyone ever actually stuck a needle in, like, we're not going to do that, but I'm just telling you, I'm so passionate about my promise. You could stick a needle in my eye, but when I break it, please don't do that. <laughs> and we have another one, and a lot of people say the pinky swear, right? I pinky swear. I pinky swear to you. And this one caught me because I've said it before. What does that even mean? So I had to look it up, and I kind of wish I hadn't. It, it's, it actually stems in Japanese culture. Where you say your pinky swear, and if you break it, that other person gets to cut off your pinky. Anybody want a pinky swear? Yeah, no, I don't think so. Like, we have all these terms. I, I was, it, it, I've done a lot of Bible study in, when, in Hebrew, in the Hebrew culture, when you make a promise, you grab somebody's thigh. Like, yep, not going to do that either. Awkward. Um, we have all these different things that we're like, I promise, I swear, until we don't anymore. And I don't feel like it. And so we easily break those. We have commitment issues. And, and so far, and I told, told my son, I won't point him out, um, that, uh, that what, what he did. I told him I was going to tell a story. Um, we, uh, in our house, we have chores, that everybody does chores. You have some things you just do. You just what you do, live under a roof, you do these chores. So it's expected. But sometimes when we're busy, like we were last week, and we have people coming over like we did last week, uh, we need to get the house a little more clean and do an extra cleaning, Right? So we have this thing that if you do these extra cleanings, sometimes we'll offer you money. You get paid. And in this case, uh, Erica was talking to um, Tyler before she and I had to go run some errands. Say, okay, Tyler, we're going to pay you to do these chores. You're going to do these and do this, this, and this, and this. And while we're gone, do a great job and we'll pay you. Okay, 
And, said, but, and Erica said, but we're hiring you, so I need a commitment. You see where it's going. Uh, I need a commitment out of you. And so he said, yep, I'm in. So Eric and I go shopping, we're out, and, and we get a text message. Um, and, and it says, it's really nice outside. The neighbor boy's out, and I'd really like to go play, so I don't want to do these chores anymore. <laughs> like, uh, okay. Um, we said, no, no, you, you, uh, you're going to do them. You said you would, so we need you to do them. He's like, ah, but, I, but it's nice. It's spring. And you know, like, I, I really, really want to go outside. And we said, okay, no, son, you made a commitment to do this. And just a few moments later, we get a, a text from him that says, well, comma, I uncommit. <laughs> I love you, son. Um, listen, it's not pointing him out or anything, but, like, it's what we do. I got a better offer. I uncommit. Take the needle from my eye. You don't need to cut my pinky. I'm just out. It, listen, it, it's not, it, 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 every kid does this, right? And a lot of adults do, too. And the question with this disconnect is this. Has this lack of promise, this lack of people of commitment, invaded our marriage vows? Has it invaded these commitments we've made to each other? Has it invaded this commitment we've made to Christ? This commitment is a, is a covenant, and, and, and it's bathed in this covenant that, that, that what we're doing is, is, is sacred. But we're in danger of committing this. I, I was un, and listening to some teaching by a, a gentleman, and, and he was a pastor down in California, and he, he said, you know, we, we're through this season called the Great Resignation. A lot of people leaving. Uh, quitting jobs and moving away. And there's, listen to me, I'm not judging. There are some legit reasons people move, but there just seems to be a lot of it. And he said these words, I fear that the great resignation is going to lead to the great separation. If people are so easily leave things like that, it makes it so much easier to leave a marriage. It's not convenient anymore. It's not something I, I really want to do. Listen to me. Please hear my heart. As soon as I say that, my heart starts to break. And, and I've been, been praying and asking for, God, you help my heart. Because what I know is that there's so many in this room who've been impacted by divorce and adultery that you feel maybe your life is in pieces. This is hard stuff. Look at me. If you feel like as soon as I say that, there's an anger like, you don't even know what I've dealt with, Pastor Adam. I don't. I've seen it in my life. It's been affected my family. I will tell you this, God sees you. We serve a God who takes pieces of our broken lives and begins to put them back together. Restoration. We serve a restorative God. I want to tell you that first and foremost. I've been praying for you. If there's something that hits home, I've been praying for you this week. But we can't shy away from talking about it. The Bible won't let us do that. So we're going to talk about this commitment. Do, the question is this. Do we really understand what a covenant is? Because I don't believe adultery starts with an affair. It starts with forgetting a covenant. Eh, next offer is fine. Do we understand how sacred a covenant is? We serve a God of a covenant. When we look at the seventh commandment, is bathed and, and fixed with a covenant. But the seventh commandment and the second commandment are connected. The second commandment is no idols, idolatry. 
Idolatry is connected to adultery. And it's just convenient. They sound alike. It's the same idea. It's a covenant. God, I will serve you and serve you alone. I make a covenant. He's the covenant God. Marriage is the same way. I'm with you. I give my life to you. We're together. We're in this. It's the same thing. It's a covenant. It is no mistake that the Bible equates marriage as a mirror to our relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why the second and the seventh commandment are connected. They're connected by covenant. And and this, this isn't my idea. The Bible is full of it. I want to pull one circumstance in the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bible, open up to Ephesians chapter 5. It's also going to be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 5. Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. This letter is amazing because it's just practical life stuff. He's writing about husbands and wives and our treatment of each other that I will honor, that, that, that I'll respect, that I'll love, that I'll cherish. And, and he's going through all of this. And it gets to verse 31. And that's where I'm going to start. Paul writes these, these words. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound. Yet I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. He's, he's writing about all these different roles. And, and, and he says, listen, but this marriage is a mirror to the covenant we have with Christ. That's why they're connected. And so if we're going to address adultery, we have to address covenant. If we're going to address idolatry, we have to address covenant, that promise we have. God is a God of covenant, and it's all over Scripture. You look at Noah, when God flooded the earth as that judgment, what did he send? A rainbow, a covenant that I won't do that again. There's a covenant with Moses and and, and God's people, and we're reading it. It's called the Ten Commandments. There's a covenant with Abraham. I'll make your people great. Your, your, your child, a nation out of you, Abraham. There's a, a, a commitment, covenant with David, the Davidic covenant, saying you'll always have a ruler on the throne in your line. It's a covenant. Jesus himself is the covenant fulfillment. It's all over. A covenant is, is simply this. It's got basically two parts. On one hand, a covenant is a legal binding contract. We're together. We're stuck. We're in. We're put together. But at the same time, in the same breath, it is also this great affection and this love that binds us together. A covenant is this bond. A covenant is the perfect blend of law and love. How else can I describe God? It's what he is. He's the God of the covenant. And when we look at covenant, we need to understand what it is. That when we enter into a marriage, it's a covenant. When we enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, it's that covenant that he will. But we have our part to play too. It's a covenant. So the question and the time that we have left that I need to ask and I want to help us walk through is this. How do we guard that covenant? How do we guard our promises, our words, with more than just stick a needle in my eye? How do we guard this covenant? I'm going to just simply say four things. There's probably lots. But in my little brain, I can do four. Okay, that's what I can do. 
I want to tell you four ways we can guard the covenant. I'm going to give you one way for everybody in this room who's not yet married. If you're a younger person and you think you want to get married at some time or, or you're older and you, there, there's marriage in the, in the horizon that you'd like to see it, I, I'm going to tell you right now there's a way to guard your covenant. I'm going to give two points to you married couples. If you are married in this room, I want to give you two ways to guard your covenant found out of Scripture based in, in, in the foundation in Scripture. And then my fourth and closing point will be for every single person. So no matter where you are at, what you came in with, there's a challenge through Scripture for you. So how do we guard the covenant? Number one, for those of you who are not yet married, maybe plan to be, how do you guard the covenant? You begin with faithfulness now. You cannot afford to wait until you're married to begin to be a covenant person to begin to live with purity and integrity. You can't wait till you say I do to change the structure and priorities in your life. It starts now. If you want to build a foundation for a future covenant, you start right here, right now, beginning to guard it at your very age. Students, start now. Live with purity, integrity, holiness. Because I'm telling you, a lot of times we fall into this struggle of, yeah, I'm going to do it. As soon as I get married, things will be easier. <laughs> and all married couples just start laughing. Yep, sure. I mean, it's possible. But man, do yourselves a favor. Live, make a covenant now. Look at, look at the book of Job. Job says these words. He says in verse 31, verse 1, or chapter 31, verse 1, he says, I have made a, there it is, say it. I've made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. I have made a promise in my heart that I'm going to live in purity. This isn't just a guy thing. It's a guy and gal thing. I have made a covenant to live in holiness and purity right now. Where I'm at. I'm not going to wait till later. And if I could tell you anything, if you're not yet married, start building the foundations of a covenant now. Start praying for your future spouse, and you may not even know their name. Start writing. Now, I'm going to talk about this later, but write down a list of what you're praying for them. Begin with covenant now. That's for you. How do you guard your covenant if you're not yet married? For those of you who are married, let me give you two things the Bible instructs, and we just read it on how to guard our covenant. We read it in Ephesians chapter 5, and I'm going to read that one verse again, verse 31. Paul writes these words, Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. Here's the thing about this verse. It wasn't Paul's original words. Jesus says them in the Gospels, but he wasn't the originator of them either. These words started in Genesis. God says to Adam and Eve, the two shall become, for this reason, the two shall become one. They shall hold fast. The man shall leave his parents and be united. And so if any scripture is repeated several times, it is a scripture worth looking at. Okay, what are you saying? I need to hear it three times. In this are two secrets, I, I think, for guarding our marriage covenant. Whether you're married or not, listen to these, because there's something you're going to get out of it. What does he say? Number one is this. If we're going to guard our covenant, we need to hold fast, he says. 
Hold fast to your wife. Hold fast to your husband. Hold fast to your spouse. I love doing word studies when I study. It just brings some depth to Scripture. The Bible's phenomenal, but I just, I love studying the Word of God. And, and these words, hold fast, hold a couple meanings that I want to pull out here. To hold fast, the first meaning of this word is really this, to glue or to bond. We all have played with glue before. What does glue do? Sticks two things together. It adheres the two things. You take one thing, you take another thing, and you hold fast with glue. That's what it does. And I'm not talking about Elmer's school glue, because that stuff's weak. I'm talking about super glue. When I was a kid, rubber cement. Um, I've, I've done some woodworking projects, and I've done various things, and gluing and bonding things together. And on one of the glues that I use, it gives these instructions that if you're gluing two smooth surfaces together to rough up both sides... Apply the glue and put it together. Why? Because that, those little rough edges that may be microscopic and you can't see, what the glue does is it fills all those little holes and crevices and cracks on both sides, and as the glue hardens, it gets firm. Think about that for a second. I have, in my, uh, my course of being a pastor, one of my great privileges is to do uh, marriage and premarriage counseling. And inevitably, in all of our conversations, we get to some of the hard stuff, some of the baggage we all bring into relationships. And, and we start talking through this. And we talk through this hard stuff, and this is, this is difficult, and, but we've got to face it. And, and, and inevitably, when I sit with them, I, I, I say something along these lines. I say, say, listen to me, you two. You come into this marriage imperfect, roughed up. But when you commit to love in spite of the difficulties and challenges, you begin a bond. Saying, I know you, I don't have it all together and, and, and you don't either, but I'm going to love you. We're going to walk through this life together. We're going to face difficulties and challenges through sickness and in health. But I love you and I'm going to stay in love with you. To hold fast, to glue this hold fast idea also carries with it one more meaning, which preaches in and of itself. It's this, to catch by pursuit. Like, I could just leave that there, couldn't I? You're in a marriage to, to, to pursue your spouse. Do I need to say anything else? Listen, if you want to guard the covenant, you need to be one who pursues your spouse. We're not perfect at this. But you need to remember to pursue, to date, to love, to honor, to cherish Remember why you fell in love. Remember your vows. Here's some classic, a classic vow. I've done a few uh, um, ceremonies, and maybe this was yours or not, but listen to these words. To have and to hold from this day forward for better, for worse, for rich, for poor, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish till death do us part. It doesn't say till something better comes along. It says, I, I commit. It's my word going to get difficult. We're going to not even like each other in some moment, moments, but I'm going to choose to love you. It's the difficult stuff. We pursue. We remember that. We remember why we fell in love. Husbands, wives, think about that. Why you fell in love. I, I'm not a proponent always of love at first sight, but in my case, it was true. Um, 
I remember, and it's something I said earlier, I, 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 I prayed for Erica before we even met. And, and I remember writing in my journal some of the things that I'm looking for in, in my wife. And I don't know why God placed it on my heart. I was looking for somebody who played the piano and could worship Jesus with it. Just something I wanted. And I remember going to church with my buddy. I'd not met her yet. And I walk in. And you know what she's doing? On the piano, leading worship. Not just that, though. Behind her in the corner was this, this window from floor to ceiling. And the sun was shining it. So I kid you not, she was glowing. It's like God saying, hallelujah, your wife. And I said, I'm pursuing. <laughs> Here's why I tell that story. Because there are times when it's difficult. And I remember, I remember that. I can't forget it. She was glowing. I remember that. I'm like, ah, that's who I fell in love with. And then all the times we started talking and having conversations about Jesus. And, oh, yeah, that's who I fell in love with. Remember to pursue. It's guarding your covenant. So the Bible tells us to hold fast to your wife, hold fast to your spouse. That's how you guard your covenant. The second one is this. Guarding your covenant, understand and remember that the two shall become one. When you get married, your decisions and your actions don't just impact you. There's somebody with you. And if you have a family, it's the whole family. But when you're married, the two shall become one. How you treat your body, what you think about, how you take care of yourself, not just in, doesn't just impact you, it impacts your spouse. How you love that spouse. It's impactful. That's why when there's divorce and separation, and I've said it, it's so painful because it's not just one. It's pieces of both. I've done, like I said, I've done marriage counseling. I've done some weddings. And one of the things that many weddings have done, and it's not a biblical thing that says thou shalt do the uh, unity sand celebration, but some of them do this. And if you haven't seen it, the, the unity sand the ceremony is, is just powerful to me. Where they have the two separate sands representing the, the husband and the wife. And, and in this moment, they begin to pour the two sand together. The white and the pink. And what happens is as these two little, all these thousands and millions of little kernels of sand begin to mix. Do you know how hard it is to pull that to, apart? You're pouring it out and with a microscope, like, okay, that one goes, it, wow. But that's the example of a marriage. The two shall become one. It's a bond, not just legal, but love. That's what marriage is for. So, so I'm telling you, guard your covenant, guard your marriage, because the enemy is so good at weaseling his way into those little cracks and crevices and begin to separate. I start to get angry. I feel like at times I'm just, this is my roommate, and I don't even know this person. The enemy is so good at that, isn't he? You know who else is good at it? Maybe on a different level, your children. <laughs> they are so good at pitting mom and dad, aren't they? Mom said no, so I'm going to dad. And, and you don't need to teach kids this. I was talking to Pastor Lexi and, and little Z. Uh, he does it already. Lexi says no, so I'm going to Stephen. You know, kids know this. And, and, and I love kids, and they are a gift from God. But, but there are times when I'll tell my kids, listen, I've loved your mother way longer than I've loved you. There's so many different outside forces trying to tear you apart. Remember, you're one. You want to guard the covenant, you got to remember that. But love and honor, to cherish. 
I'm, I'm going to, and soon, because uh, I'm, I'm done some training and preparing rich counseling, and we're going to do a, a class for marriage, married couples where we're going to uh, just kind of walk through some tools in marriages to keep you strong. Perfect marriages need not apply. That's why I'm teaching it. There's things we need to work on. That's coming in April. There's more on that later. We need to guard our covenant. Hold fast. The two shall become one. Begin with faithfulness now. And the fourth and final thing that we guard our covenant is we have to, for every single person in this room, understanding that our covenant is a mirror in marriage to our covenant with Christ, we have to begin to commit to the God of the covenant. To commit to this Jesus who looks at you and said, you're worth dying for. You're worth dying for. Jesus looked at you and said, I want relationship with you so much that I will die in your place taking what you deserved. And when we enter into this covenant, we say, God, I receive. I give you my life. I surrender. Listen, Jesus died for you. Not because you needed it or you felt obligated The Bible tells us in several places that Jesus died for you and it was his pleasure. It was his privilege because he knows you and knows all the scars that you have and says, I love you. This is the God I commit to. Oh Lord, God of the covenant, I give you my life. We need to learn to commit to the God of the covenant. We have to be honest in this. And I'll be honest, as as a pastor here at BCA, my life isn't perfect. There are things we struggle with. And every single person in here, listen, we're just different levels of broken. (laughs) Aiming towards Jesus. We have to understand that we have a heart that's been broken, that is broken, and we have a tendency to stray in this covenant with Jesus. The temptation will always be to look away But we need to, in this moment, begin to solidify, to commit, to promise to the covenant that, God, I'm in every single day. Jesus, take me again. I'm yours. I surrender. I don't want to wander. I want you to think about that. I'm going to close with this thought. I've often been accused by people of having an old soul. It offends me a little bit, but I guess I'll go with it. I love hymns. I love some of the the songs I grew up singing. And There's a hymn written in 1758 by a a guy named Robert Robinson. And he pins this struggle perfectly in poetic form. See, Robert, he grew up and and he had a broken life. And his dad died when he was a baby and, and, and just... So many terrible things happened down his life. He, he got involved with this evangelist and gave his heart to Jesus and began to serve him. And, and he had a gift to write poetry and songs. And he was just real. And there's a song he wrote called Come Thou Fount. Anybody heard that one? Verse 3, he pens these words Oh, to grace, how great a debtor! daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, Lord, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. The confession we all have, he says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. 
I'm prone to leave the God and the commitment that I love. Here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. I pray this, God, take my heart and seal it. Robert Robinson wrote that. And a few years, some time passed, and he fell into exactly what he feared, and he walked away from God. He strayed. Other things to see. There's other things out there. And back in 1758, they didn't have cars, and he was on a long journey from one city to another, and they were in a stagecoach. A few other passengers riding the stagecoach to the next city, and it was long and bouncy and mundane and dusty and hot. And a gal in the stagecoach began to sing just to break the monotony. And he guesses what song she sang. She began to sing, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart. Take and seal it. You can imagine in that moment, Robert, hearing those words. Well, legend has it, I wasn't there, so I can't verify, but legend has it that he says these words, ma'am, I'm the unhappy man who wrote that hymn many years ago, and I would give a thousand worlds if I had them, if I could, to feel now as I did then. Heartbreaking. God, help me. How do I get to a point where my life is in shambles? How do I guard against that? We say these words daily. God, take my heart and seal it because I need you. There are so many other things vying for my attention, begging for me to go that direction. God, every day I need you to seal my heart because I can't do this without you. I need strength beyond what I have. Take my heart and seal it. Maybe you're in your marriage and you understand the same thing, the mirror image. God, this, I love my spouse. It's hard in our culture. So many things vying for my attention. God, give me strength to vow, promise, commit to the covenant to my wife, to my husband, that I will love them. That's how we fight adultery. We don't wait till the act. We start now. God, I commit every single day. I'm not even going to get close to that line. God, I need your help. That's why commandment two and seven had go so close together. God, I want to be a person of covenant promise. Would you stand with me? Pastor Danny's going to lead us in that song in just a moment. But I want to take a second before we're done to commit our lives to the covenant. After, after Pastor Danny sings, we're going to have some prayer team people up and they want to pray with you. Please, if you're perfect, you're good, right? Come and commit. Maybe you need Jesus in your heart like this has been tough. I need somebody to pray with me. Commit in this moment. So what I want to do in this prayer time, I want you to be just a little bit brave and just a little bit bold. If you're with me and say, God, I, want to, I need to recommit today, I want you to just lift your hands. Maybe you're a bold Pentecostal believer and I'm both high in the sky. Maybe not, maybe this, I don't care. God, here's my heart. Here's my heart. I commit. Maybe, maybe you're sitting beside your spouse. Will you do something really bold and crazy and just reach down and grab their hand? Grab their arm, put your arm around them because in this moment we're gonna commit our marriages to this covenant again. Would you bow with me, Lord?
Help me. You are the God of the covenant, and I surrender. And I pray for anybody within the sound of my voice who has not yet made that covenant promise, who've not yet entered into that relationship. God, may they feel and be overwhelmed with your love. God, and pray this prayer with me. God, I confess I've fallen short. I've gone so many different ways. You are Lord and you are Savior. I confess it. Would you come in and begin a covenant relationship? God, this may be the day that somebody begins that relationship. God, I pray for marriages right now. I know because statistics tell me that maybe there's a marriage in here that's, that came in rocky and they felt without hope. God, I pray that in this moment they would begin to commit, recommit to that vow to love and to honor and cherish. We're one. Start putting dreams and ideas of how to pursue, how to love. Now we give our relationships to you. And God, right now, we confess with our covenant with you, we are prone to wander. There's so many things. But in this moment, this day, take our hearts and seal it for thy courts above. In Jesus' name.